The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the state of play for stocks as the S&P nears a remarkable milestone, doubling from the pandemic lows of last year. Not that far away. We're going to debate some of the stocks that have done best and worst over that period with our investment committee. And joining me for the hour today, Jenny Harrington, Josh Brown, Steve Weiss, and John Najarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Good to see everybody with us today. Let's first and foremost check the market. Stocks are, they're mixed the Dow is lower by, let's call it 100 or so, thereabouts. S&P, a fractional winner. NASDAQ's higher as well. Did have that hotter than expected inflation read. All right, Jenny Harrington, I mentioned this doubling from the bottom. We're not that far away. We're 25 points on the S&P. 44.74 and change is the number you need to watch today. What are you watching today? What's most important to you, do you think? I keep, I keep thinking about the rotation that we've seen over the last year and what, what I keep maybe not what I'm watching, but what I'm thinking about is this return to normal. So as we return to normal, it's hard to make money, right? And when you just said double, double in the last year, that means it was really, really, really easy to make money for the past 12 months, really for the past 14 months. And that's getting harder. So I'm watching things like the strategist reports where they're saying, hey, you know, we think we're going to have a 4% return in 2023, or we think we'll be up 7% from here. Who knows if they're right or wrong, but let's say they're directionally correct. If they're directionally correct, we know two things. It's going to be harder, and when it's going to be harder, you need to do a lot of work. So I think that what's worked in the last couple of years is not going to be what works the best going forward. I think you're gonna to need to do homework, you're gonna to need to dig deep, look around, spread out a little bit. Um, and yeah, so everything that we've been buying lately are not, are not the big mainstream names of the past year. They've all taken a tremendous amount of work. So, um, so that's what I'm looking at, is a year of, of work okay. ahead of me. So, Josh Brown, David Costin, Goldman Sachs, once again reiterates today his S&P target by the end of this year is 4,700. Now, the nuance in that, and it's uber-relevant given where interest rates are and where they may be going from here, especially after a hotter PPI move, and obvious concerns about inflation. Costin says his target assumes a Treasury yield at 1.6, Okay. We're at 1.35. So that's one of the variables that you have to deal with. Our friend Marco Kalanovic over at J.P. Morgan just dropped a new note before we came on the air today. He says yields and cyclicals likely bottomed last week and are now on an upward trajectory for the rest of the year. He prefers cyclicals, international stocks and value, which we can get into later. What do you think about all that? 
I mean, I don't, I don't feel as though the inflation thing is as prevalent a force on the market anymore. And, you know, it's possible that Jerome Powell isn't an idiot and everything he said about it being transitory <laughs> uh, will come to pass. I mean, it's, I, look, I, I, know, I know there are people who, who differ in opinion from him, but it's possible he a little bit knows what he's talking about. So look at July's uh, CPI report. Pull out energy, pull out used cars. We're basically in a situation with not much real inflation at all. 2.3% headline, 2.5% uh, core. And you have to pull out used cars because we just went through this once-in-a-lifetime moment where cars couldn't be manufactured. And we look at the Mannheim uh, index, and we already know that that is correcting itself and going back to normal. So the, the big issue with, with inflation maybe now will be rent. Uh, maybe now will be home prices, which already appear to be cooling off, by the way. So I just I don't see that as being like one of the big forces of movement or concern or whatever for the market going forward. Right. It's possible that we just have a fast growing economy and regular inflation that should come along with that. And I think the market is coming to, to grips with that. Um, I also think the, the 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 infrastructure, the tax debate, et cetera. Biden's at 50 percent approval. That's not good enough. They're going to lose the House, the Democrats, especially if they overreach on tax hikes. And this spring, there was a lot of concern about tax hikes. They were talking about 40 percent capital gains. Not going to happen. Removing the step up basis for a state tax. Definitely not going to happen. So a lot of these big concerns, Judge, uh, surrounding inflation and, oh, my God, they're going to crush the investor class with taxes. This stuff is not really going to manifest itself the way we were all worried. And I think that's why today you got a new all-time high in the Dow, even though it backed off. I think that's why we're looking at almost 50 record closes this year, because the things we've been concerned about are resolving to the upside, uh, and especially breadth. And the last thing I want to say, it wasn't very long ago we were looking at 32% uh, of S&P components above the 50-day, which meant two-thirds of the market was not in a, in a short-term uptrend. Mm -hmm. Now we're like at 68%. So a lot of damage beneath the surface has been repaired in terms of all of the individual names that make up the market. So you've got big stocks hanging in at highs, Apple, Microsoft, Google, what a beast. And then you've got cyclicals taking a small breather, but still looking really, really good. So I don't know what you'd be looking at to, to take a look at this picture and be bearish. I'm not sure what you would, which, like, what are you focused on? Which John Najarian is why everybody from Rick Reeder to Marco Kalanovic to Tom Lee are bullish. They're not just a little bullish, they're pretty bullish. Yeah, and they're bullish, Scott, because of course, uh, the Fed has said that they are going to let inflation uh, run. Uh, they're going to not just cut it off as soon as they start to see it rear its head, which it has, of course, um, but they're going to let it run. And so if they had been more hawkish on inflation and said, we will likely hit this and hit it hard because we've thrown so many trillions at the market already, um, then I think you wouldn't see those uh, four people that you just named as bold up as they are. Um, but because they're going to let it run, Scott, yeah, that's great for asset prices. We all know there's uh, somebody to pay down the line. Um, but uh, to Josh's point, as far as uh, these midterms and so forth, that is going to mitigate some of the, uh, uh, I'll call it progressive agenda, that as far as the spending, it probably won't be as large 
taxing. I don't even know if they pass anything on taxing. I mean, they barely got the $28 billion in on uh, uh, cryptocurrencies, and I don't think that'll even make the House bill. So I don't think that'll be part of the law as it ultimately right. passes and goes up to the president. So I think overall, Judge, yeah, uh, I don't need to be terribly bulled up, but I certainly am thinking that we're going to see asset prices continuing to rise, not at a dizzying pace because it's all about velocity, volatility and volume, but at a regulated pace. And I think that's what the market wants to see. OK, speaking of volatility, that brings me to our resident foil. I mean, Steve Weiss, Steve Weiss. <laughs> who says it's not all in time. It's not going to be an everything rally like some are predicting, Steve. Yeah, well, look, uh, you can call me foil. I can call me the voice of reason and outside, you know, the consensus thinker. And that's how I like to think of it. First of all, we don't need strategists. I mean, look, you got to be a real fool to say the market's not going up when it goes up 90 percent of the time. How difficult a job is that? Hey, there's it's one. Come on now. So you're come invested. I know you like to throw bombs around, you feel what? better about yourself and all that, but come on, I mean, there's a difference between saying the market's <laughs> going to go up and saying, well, I think the environment is pretty well set that between now and the end of the year, you can have maybe a more substantial rally than some are thinking. I think that's a fair way of characterizing the way that the Tom Lees of the world, who've come on here and defended uh, their positions on a regular mm -hmm. basis, can say things without just being all just bulled up. First of all, I think you misunderstand my intentions. My intention is to make you feel better so okay. you can spend more time reading right. self-help okay. books than reading strategist reports. Okay. So in terms <laughs> of the market, here's what I see. Okay. I see everybody being very positive on the market. And to me, that's a time for caution. And here's where the caution is. I'm not saying don't be invested. I'm saying what I've been saying, which is go to quality. Concentrate your portfolio. A concentrated portfolio generates greater returns than a diversified portfolio. And you've got to be concentrated in quality names. Because what's happening is, and if people don't see this, they've got their heads in the sand, it's a coordinated effort by Powell to go earlier than they've been saying in terms of cutting back on the buying. Now, this is perfect. I'll tell you why it's perfect. And what, the, what I see is that normally you have a hand, handoff from monetary stimulus to fiscal stimulus, which means government stimulus, pol political stimulus. Now you've got a handoff to private sector stimulus because they're so flush with cash, they're raising wages, so you don't need full employment to get wages raised. I do believe that inflation is transitory, but we roll, want roll back wages. You've had Japan, which has had free money forever which can't get their inflation to a reasonable rate, can't get their economy to grow. So once the pandemic's more in hand, and maybe it's not for six months, maybe it's not for a year, we'll go back to what we were. With technology bringing down costs, with innovation bringing down costs, so I think that the market's going to be very rocky, as I do believe that rates have bottomed for the year. Sure, we may go a little lower, but they'll march up. And it's not getting to 1.6 at the end of the year. It's the direction and the velocity of the direction that's going to cause a bumpy market. There are no other catalysts out there. We're through earnings. We're through what's happened in Congress. Josh makes a great point. Let me take the next conclusion. If you have a divided Congress, a divided government, nothing gets done. I do not believe that Biden gets that ridiculous $3.5 trillion package done. So, yes, the environment's very good, but it's going to be rocky because nothing goes up in a straight line, and rates will be the cause of the rockiness. Okay. Um, 
Now, Josh, because David Costin and some of his uh, fellow strategists uh, are more than just whatever strategists, as Weiss would paint them as, um, he has come out with a list today of actual stocks that he thinks you should take a look at because he does more than just end-of-year target strategy or target practice, whatever you want to say or however Weiss would like to disparage whatever strategist comes next. His reopening basket, Josh Brown, contains Live Nation. I know you like that one. MSG, Six Flags, Wynn, Hilton, some of the cruise lines like Norwegian and Royal Caribbean, the hotels like Marriott, some of the airlines like American and Alaska. Those kind of picks make sense to you. I'll get to some of the others um, that I know you like. But what about that basket right there? I've been saying all year that I I genuinely feel last year everybody who wanted a new car or a dishwasher or a vacation home um, or to do home renovation, that was what that was what 2020 was about. I think the next couple of years is about back to uh, experiences, back to travel, back to live events, back to being with people. And I don't know that in certain categories like business travel, you're going to see 2019 numbers anytime soon. But I'm very confident that in entertainment, you're going to surpass 2019 numbers because of of how badly people want to do things again. And the evidence of that is everywhere. And so I think that list of names that you just mentioned, among many others, should be the beneficiaries. You know what they're not doing? You look at like the results of Etsy and Pinterest and eBay, they're not sitting home doing arts and crafts. They're not sitting home shopping for people's used garbage. They're going back out and they're doing (laughs) stuff. And I think that's where the dollars are shifting. And I think those are the types of stocks that have a better chance of working from here. So what about this idea, though, that Kalanovic puts forth today, Jenny, that if you, you know, if you had to make your choice, right, I don't need it. Oh, well, I think everything can do well in this environment kind of answer. I'm looking for something a little more nuanced. Not that you were going to bring that, but I'm just putting that out there before you answer the question. Um, Because this idea that yields and cyclicals both bottomed and those are the places, at least cyclicals, is where you should be. Between now, let's say in the end of the year, you're going to get more bang for your buck in cyclicals than you are in anything else. I think that's true, but I think it is a nuanced world that we're in, and it's hard to make money. So you can't just say buy cyclicals; they're going to do well. No, but I just you gave you names. You can't just say buy this reopening. I gave you names. Okay, no, I no, gave no, you I'm cruise lines. I gave you Delta. Right. Uh, I gave you Marriott, so I'm going American, right Alaska. I'm going right there. Ford. Right. So here's the thing: I don't think you can just say buy these reopening plays. There is a big difference between Marriott, Ford, Darden, and Alaska Airlines and Delta Airlines. There's a big difference. So I think you have to be really picky about that and really thoughtful about it. Um, Later in the show, I think we'll talk about Disney, which is one of the companies that we own. But you can put that in a reopening play. That's tricky too, right? Things are changing. So when you're talking about these reopening plays, you can't paint with the broad brush that you did last year. You need to say, hey, people are actually driving a ton still. That's safe. Even if the Delta variant does take hold and does derail things or mess things up a little bit, people are still driving. They're still staying in hotels. They're still eating at restaurants. You know what they're not doing? They're not traveling as much. Business travel, to your point earlier, isn't coming back as fast, and that's probably going to get the kibosh put on it. So I think when you get these baskets, you need to be really careful and sort through them and not just say like, oh, hey, reopening play, I'll buy them all. I think you need to be careful. That's, yeah, so that, on that one. That, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But, but Dr. J, you know, when you throw out names like Alaska and American and, and, and Delta and some of the hotel plays, do you just forget about what Southwest had to say yesterday in that profit warning? Even if it's in the I mean, I know it's it's for close in, as they put it, bookings and cancellations. 
but that still can have a negative material impact on the earnings picture, which could have a negative impact on the stock price picture. Do we, are we just blowing that off as if it's irrelevant? No, and nor should we, Scott. Um, and quite frankly, um, we still have, for the most part, a travel ban against the UK. I mean, JetBlue just opened up today. You mentioned several airlines there. JetBlue just did its first flight from the US, from JFK to Heathrow today. But you can't come back the other way because the UK uh, citizens can't travel without all of these uh, quarantine restrictions and so forth. So we can go over there. They can't come back here. Again, that's not following the science at all. Um, so if you want to see those airlines really pop, Scott, um, you know, Southwest isn't that big international carrier. A little bit into Mexico, but uh, obviously Delta, United, and America would jump if all of a sudden the United States started opening up as far as, you know, as Europe has, and as in particular as the UK has, um, to our travel there. Um, it doesn't make any sense that they can't get those international routes that are far more profitable, Scott, operating again. And if that happens, you see a 10 to 15 percent jump in a matter of days in those stocks. Um, but I, the only thing I worry about, Scott, is we keep pushing this out. The longer we push it out into the future, meaning instead of like right now or in perhaps the, the fourth quarter, maybe we're looking more like if Southwest is right and others have said similar things, that maybe we're more like uh, in the first quarter of next year. It, again, that's going to have a different effect on markets and uh, in particular on employment and so forth than if we do it sooner. So that's what I'm watching for right now, Scott. Is Southwest flying any routes to Europe? No, like I said, they do a little bit into Mexico, Josh, but I don't think they, uh, okay. outside of that, they don't really have an international presence at all. Let me go Can I just make one point on Delta, too? Go ahead. So, so as we think about this, we really need to, again, look at how different these are. So you've got Delta, which even if they come back, and John's right, if the share price jumps 10%, that's temporary and that's a trading move. If you look at Delta as a bigger long-term investment, you need to remember that they went from $8 billion in long-term debt pre-pandemic to $27 billion now. So they're going to be digging out from all this pain for a super, super, super long time. So even if you get these short-term bumps, like I don't think that's going to be a good investment for a long time. Meanwhile, you have a Marriott that slash costs, probably in a really sustainable, permanent way, added rooms. Um, so I think you need to be careful. I think if you look at the airlines, remember that's a trade. I, as an investor, I don't see myself touching any airline for years and years to come. They've got a mountain of debt to work out of. Weiss, you still have United Airlines or no? No, I sold it a while ago. It, they are always a trade, the airlines, because they always have such big capex. And I agree with Jenny. That's the point I've been making on Boeing, actually, is that their balance sheet is just completely upside down at this point. Uh, but as far as Marriott goes, Marriott's also a big business destination hotel chain. So I don't know that any of them are safe. And look, you're pushing out the recovery. But what, what's your next year's return on these on these plays, the you know these opening up plays, I would argue that that's too difficult to predict the end of COVID and the psychological end of COVID. I go with my top strategist on the street, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who believes that COVID, the Delta variant, is going to peak in two weeks. But the thought process that you've got to be careful is going to extend a lot longer. So just go with other areas where you make money. 
Don't waste your time trying to figure out an airlines which, hey, maybe they'll go up, maybe they won't. They go up, they go up 10%. All right. Who cares? We right. can make more money. Skip the, skip the airlines entirely. Go right, to, go right to Expedia. Look at that chart. This is a stock that if travel resumes, they don't have the debt that the airlines have. They don't have all those lingering issues. They have people rapidly trying to lock down hotel rooms uh, and, and flights to places where they can fly. That's the cheat code. The online travel plays and, and related travel search revenue businesses like Google way easier than trying well, to figure out Boeing or an airline. Not right to now. mention, totally the, except, the, except Josh. Go ahead, Steve. Except Josh. From the, the, except Josh. The issue with that is that they always get the excess inventory and they get it at a discount to what the hotels can charge themselves. Given how bad Correct. business is, I think they'll give less inventory there and pick up their own marketing programs. So I wouldn't go to Expedia at all. Well, the pick, Josh, that you I think is holding an leverage. Airbnb killer that, that I think is a, a different business that a lot of people have not yet. They're not really getting credit yet for, for what they're becoming, but I see your point. But the one you said, Josh, um, and I know you, reiter- you said it on this show multiple times, and you reiterated it, I believe it was yesterday uh, or the day before on Closing Bell, that Alphabet is your best travel play right now. Am I right? It is because it's not fully reliant on travel, but searches, searches for, for travel is a lot, of, a lot of their revenue. I think it's like 8% of their ad revenue. It entirely went away in 2020, pretty much, and now it's coming back with a vengeance. So that's been a, a beast of a stock, the best fang of the year. I mean, it's right at highs. It doesn't seem to pay attention to the rest of the market. I think there's a lot going on with Google search trends that actually the, the reopen favors that platform versus a different platform, like hypothetically, let's say, an Amazon. So Google, I think, is, is, a, is as good a way to play the reopening from a technology side as any other that I can think so of. Even, even though you were cheating on us and you were on the closing bell, I still paid attention to what you had to say. I guess that's the most important thing after all. I'm not cheating on you. I have enough <laughs> love for everyone, Judge. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's, wow. talk, let's talk about some <laughs> earnings movers uh, before we take a break. Number one, Sonos. Dr. J, I'm coming to you. Uh, what are you doing with your calls here? Bang. Yep, uh, that was a gift, Scott. Um, We did it just two days ago as final trade because of upside call buying. Uh, That paid off. Stock went from 35 to 39. Uh, They rang the bell, as we say, uh, and we took profits. Uh, But there were several of these names that just really, uh, on that meme kind of area of the market, Scott, whether it was Sonos or Palantir or Clove, C-L-O-V, these were getting some love on the Reddit boards and so forth, so strong, unusual activity, and all three of those stocks popped pretty good. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Palantir, uh, up 11%. Uh, you sold yep. your calls today. Yep, uh, and, and that's the thing that we always talk about, you and I, Judge, that the nice thing about options is they tell you a time frame. You know, this week was what they were buying uh, that expired tomorrow, the 13th. They tell you a strike price and so forth. So we hit both of those. Um, no reason to stick around. So buy rumors, sell news, as they say. And I exited that trade as well. Why are you looking at both? I understand Sonos and Palantir. Yeah, well, Palantir, you know, to, I always look at because I find it a very interesting company. But you know what? You don't make money. In it. For the last nine months, the stock's been flat. And every time the CEO comes on, um, you know, it's like we don't care if we ever make money. 
So as an investor, it's not what I want to hear. I don't care if you want to make money five years out. At least you have that interest. Uh, in terms of Sonos, sort of the tell, same tell thing. I think it's cheap Amazon stock. I think investors. it was a brilliant call by. Yeah, well, uh, a little <laughs> different saying. because know, Amazon I've kept extending the platform. I, 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 no, I you're it. right. At this stage, at at this stage, it's actually a pretty good comparison. In terms of Sonos, I keep looking at it, and I find it is cheap, and I think they have the product. Brilliant play by Doc. You know, when he said it piqued my interest, I was actually hoping they'd miss and miss big so that I'd get in, but I'll, I'll wait for the pullback. Yeah. Um, let me ask you while I have you about your Coinbase position, because I understand mm -hmm. that you trimmed half of it. Correct. So, uh, so I went as a trade, as I said. Uh, it's a highly volatile stock. Usually, I put a stop underneath the market in uh, on all trades, short-term trades. But this is so volatile, given how volatile Bitcoin is. I only got stopped out of half of it. The other, I'm just going to let run. It's not a huge position. I lost money on the first tranche, but I'll stick with this a while. And it's always subject to uh, what else happens. Okay. But, uh, look. They're going to make money off the volatility. I don't have to bet on which direction Bitcoin's going. I've only got to bet that it's going to continue to trade. All right. Uh, Jenny, you have a new stock buy, and it is Cisco, not the tech company, uh, but the food company, S-Y-S-C-O. Tell us. Actually, in 1997, when I started at Goldman, they would do this training thing where they would try and trick you up and do a fake client call, and they'd say, buy 1,000 shares of Cisco, hang up. You know, so this is the first time that I've ever actually bought the SYY Cisco, not the CSCO Cisco. So this one is the leading supplier of food to restaurants, stadiums, cafeterias. And it's pretty cool. It's trading at a market multiple, but that's on depressed earnings. They've got significant double-digit earnings growth in the years ahead. During the pandemic, they increased market share. They improved margins. They have a 2.5% dividend yield. They've paid that conse consecutively and increased it for 51 years straight. And going to one of Steve point Steve's points earlier, when you said go to quality, this is as quality as quality gets. This is a fantastic company. Ooh, and one other note, we actually did it in our discipline growth strategy, not in the dividend strategy. So we think there's a lot of capital appreciation potential ahead in it. All right. Good Very stuff. excited about All this. Right. It uh, certainly seems that way. <laughs> I, I can feel it through the TV. <laughs> All right. Coming up, a downgrade for one chip stock that's run up 40% in the last year. We debate that next in our call of the day. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. U.S. officials are urging all Americans to leave Afghanistan immediately. The Associated Press reporting that Afghanistan's third largest city, Herat, has fallen to the Taliban. 
Earlier this morning, Taliban forces captured the strategically important city of Ghazni, less than 100 miles from Kabul and links the capital with the country's southern regions. And on the news, our reporter in Kabul on the Taliban expanding the battle into southern Afghanistan. That, of course, airs tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. In Michigan now, more than 860,000 customers are still without power. Heavy storms uprooted trees and caused flash flooding. Some areas are not expected to get power back until this weekend. And Health and Human Services Secretary Becerra announcing COVID vaccinations will now be required for all of his agency's healthcare workers. The move affects more than 25,000 employees who come into contact with patients. You're now up to date, Scott. I'll send it back to you. Appreciate that, Rahel. Thank you. Micron shares are lower. Morgan Stanley downgraded the stock and in a note titled, Memory Winter is Coming. It is our call of the day. Okay, Doc, what do you do here, down 7 and a third percent, with your position here? Well, uh, I had to exit mine, Scott. Um, you know, I, I love, of course, patting myself on the back when I'm right and when we're wrong. I overstayed my welcome in this one, Scott. Had to cut the losses on these calls. They are actively buying puts, which is another reason that I know I'm wrong. Um, they're buying the September 6250 puts today. That was with the stock at almost 70 bucks. So they're predicting, or at least protecting, uh, whichever way you'd like to look at it, for another $8 decline out of this stock. Uh, that's not one I want to hold on to, Scott. So they've been buying puts the last couple days. Today it started accelerating again, and I said, that's enough for me. Weiss, you, you used to love this one. and You sold it, I think, yep. last month or so. You mentioned it on the program that you, you had sold it. Um, I'm wondering what you think about the call. You sold it. You got out at the right time, I guess. Um, what would get you back in? Down 7 and a third percent. Is that enticing to get well, back in? Yeah, and I just looked. I, I sold it uh, June 29th through uh, July 2nd. So over that period, I had sold it. Look, I had bought it as a trade. It's a commodity stock. These are trades. To me, this is Coke and Pepsi. And the bull argument is that, no, there are only three players now. They're all rational pricers. So, look, you got to own this thing. It's going to 100 it never gets there. These things always look cheap. I don't know that I'll get back in. I've got enough semi-exposure the other way, uh, you know, with, with what I've mentioned before, Skyworks, Corvo. I'd rather buy Qualcomm on dips. Uh, they're much less commodity. There's much more intelligence. I don't really mean that. Much more technology that goes into their chips, and they get designed in. So you can't switch what you're using one for the other. So a Hynix for a Micron. You've got to stick with like the Skyworks because you based your design on it for the last five years. So I'm not rushing again. If it goes low enough, yeah, I think it'll be a trade. But I think it's a good call by Morgan Stanley. I've been watching pricing. It's a gutsy call. Pricing's been going up, but capacity is coming on. And that's what they're talking about. All right. Now, so it may be overdone actually a little here. More broadly, Jenny, you still own Intel. And you own applied materials, and those are the two ways you're playing the chip space, and that's it, correct? That's it. And interestingly, though, we did sell Seagate a few months ago, um, which is looking like a pretty good, pretty well-timed call. That, too, just saying, like, hey, you know, that side of memory had gotten a little peaked out, and recognizing that when you do play in the memory space, it's really cyclical. Yeah, so the Intel and the AMAT, by, you know, totally opposite um, investment returns on those two. But both are, you know, both are important parts of the portfolio. Intel just chugging along one day. <laughs> I know I get made fun of this 
for this, but like one day I'm sure that we will get the nice return we need out of it. And then aim at for that exponential growth where you don't need to make a bet on the semi-cycle. You just know that there's, as there's increased demand, there's increased demand for equipment. So it, well, it really covers the whole space. We're coming up on the 10th anniversary of the halftime report. So one day, whatever that time frame is, Jenny, I, I hope I'm still doing the show <laughs> and you're still on it. I'm, and we can have that conversation whenever one day, September they, whenever that one day is. Year. Remind me when that, when that day happens. We'll be sure to note I'll, it. I'll be very loud about it. I'm sure you will. Uh, <laughs> lastly, jo Josh Brown, NVIDIA. I'm um, looking at it here. It's uh, about 10 bucks off its high. And that, I think got another positive call today, which what else is new? Yeah, this has been the best stock in, in the world, I guess. Probably. I don't know. Uh, Lucky to Josh. call it a chip stock, I think, is to really miss is to really miss the point. They own the programming language that's going to power the AI revolution. Like, it, I can't overstate how important this is as a platform company. This is not just stamping microchips and sending them out. Um, you're going to see the Fortune 500 basically spend the next decade automating as many of their processes and procedures as they can. Uh, and, and this is going to be the company that enables that activity. So obviously a lot of that is being priced in already. It's not a cheap stock, but it never has been a cheap stock and continues to work and find new ways to uh, impress the street. So hopefully that continues. I'm, I'm long, I'm not going anywhere. All right, we'll keep our eyes on that one too. Shares of Matterport. They're dropping today, despite reporting double-digit revenue growth and triple-digit subscriber growth. So what's going on? It's a stock that Josh Brown recently bought into. The company's CEO joins us next to give the outlook. We'll be right back. Another sign of big oil trying to get in on clean hydrogen. Still a small part of the overall business, but Shell is investing in at least one $23 million project this year, supported by the European Union, and BP, several million dollars in hydrogen projects. Right now, there are 359 large-scale hydrogen projects being planned around the world. That's up more than 50% since last year, according to the Hydrogen Council. That's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. Our Josh Brown bought the stock of Matterport back in late July. That software company specializes in making 3D copies of physical spaces like offices, homes and schools and counts many Fortune 500 companies as customers. CEO R.J. Pittman joins us now. It's good to see you. Welcome to the show. 
Great to be here. What's up with the stock today? Uh, you know, I mentioned all these metrics you, you beat on all these different metrics and yet the stock's getting clobbered. What's up? I, I think, you know, we're a new company, newly listed on NASDAQ. We, we started trading on July 23rd. I think there's a lot of excitement around Matterport in this gigantic category. And, you know, quite frankly, people are, are getting to know us, getting to know this asset class. Um, and I think things are going to settle into a pretty exciting future for but us. Before I turn it over to somebody who knows you well, and that's one of your investors, Josh Brown, uh, let me just ask you, I mean, you're, just so people understand what we're talking about here, you're basically the software behind like a 3D tour that you would get on a real estate site where you're checking out a house or an office or something to, of that respect. Is that right? Well, let's, let's just take a half step back. Yes, you know, in short, that's part of what we do. But let's also remember that we're at the start of the biggest transformation in the history of the global real estate and property industry. And Matterport plays far beyond homes and, you know, open houses. We're driving the largest asset class in the world. That's the built world, which is all building types, $230 trillion asset class three times the sum total of all listed securities in the world. Like, and it has never been disrupted by technology until now. And Matterport's spatial data, which is the output from creating these great digital twins, is what's leading this digital transformation. Gotcha. Now let me turn it over to the aforementioned Josh Brown. Cheers, Josh. Hey, RJ, congratulations on your first uh, quarter as a public company. Um, I wanted to... I wanted to just get your take on on this because I think it's a really important story. Uh, Mark Andreessen talks about this being the fourth digital, uh, the fourth industrial revolution. So the first one was steam, the second was electricity and and mass manufacturing, the third one was of course information technology, and now this fourth industrial revolution is the seamless marriage between the digital world that we've built and the physical world. And having those things almost have like no barrier between them. And I feel as though your company, among others, are at the forefront of that movement. So a company like Starbucks, they've got all this physical space, all these stores. You guys can give them data. How many ovens? What, you know, like, like how many square feet are we talking about? And they can make more intelligent decisions as a company around that spatial data, their physical locations in a digitized format. Can, can you talk about why that's so important and, and why the total addressable market might be so large? I mean, this is that we're at the, the dawn of, you know, a very big new era for this uh, real property market. And Starbucks is a great example. Let's just make a couple of quick you know, comparisons here. We're talking about a digital transformation of you know, the biggest asset class in the world. We've seen a lot of industries, big industries disrupted by digital transformation. Google digitized information, completely changed an industry. PayPal digitizing money and currency, completely changed the category. Even Netflix digitized broadcast content into you know, streaming as a commonplace today, completely transformative. The real estate category is bigger than all of them. And in the case of Starbucks, you know, we solve a really big problem here. 35,000 locations worldwide, it becomes physically impossible to manage all of that real estate and all of that incredible value, uh, you know, from a keyboard or from your smartphone. But Matterport digitizes every aspect of those physical properties and allows anybody 
um, from the palm of your hand to the smartphone in your hand, the ability to manage those properties and get incredible operating efficiencies out of these that has never been available to them before. And this is transcending all categories from commercial real estate, residential real estate, the insurance and mortgage industry, because what Matterport is creating is a digital blueprint for the future of all property. This is the digital system of record that I think the industry has been waiting for that gives you so much information and so much precision about the largest asset class that is yet to have this you know, capability in its entire history. Let me ask you this before I let you go. And just so our, our so obviously Starbucks has got to be a customer. Century 21, Airbnb, Hyatt Hotels, LinkedIn, among others. You did go public via a SPAC. What did that do in terms of changing the timeline in terms of when you would have gone public and by the, the method that you were thinking of, if in fact you were? Yeah. You know, look, when, uh, when, when these opportunities came in front of us a year ago, Matterport was and has been in a great position for a long time. Look, we're 10 years into this business now, entering our second decade. Uh, we've been cash flow positive from operations several quarters in a row. We frankly didn't need to raise capital. This was very much an opportunistic and strategic decision for us um, to raise the kind of capital and put the resources behind a proven business model uh, that has now been rolled out, You know, not just in North America, but we're also a global business going after all 4 billion buildings in the world. We have a huge market lead. You know, we created this category. We're the longstanding market leader. And this is now an execution and scale story. And I brought in, you know, all of my colleagues from Google and Apple and LinkedIn and Salesforce, all the big scale leaders have all transcended on this opportunity at Matterport to build the next big platform in tech. All right. We'll continue to follow it. Congrats. Uh, Wish you well. And we'll talk to you again soon. RJ Pittman, thanks for joining us. Up next, Disney is getting ready to report earnings after the bell tonight. Shares down 5% in the last six months. Negative on the year now. Our experts take their positions ahead of that. We'll do it next. Welcome back. Disney shares, they're lower ahead of earnings after the bell, down about 4% in a month. Jenny, you own it. Doc, you are long Disney calls going into the print. So, Dr. J, I start with you. All right, Scott. Well, this is like that movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, except they shrunk the vol, meaning the volatility. Uh, It has been coming down fast, Scott. Uh, uh, For instance, in February quarter, it was around 40. It fell to 30 for the next earnings cycle, and it's lower than that now. Just this week, the straddle has already shrunk by better than a dollar, which means that people are not really thinking that Disney's going to make much of a move. Me being a contrarian, I think perhaps they're pricing it too cheaply. And so I think that they might actually have some positives to say. So I'm comfortable holding those calls. We'll see whether or not they go to toast tomorrow, Scott. But I think this one could zoom to the upside. All right, Jenny. Now, what are your thoughts here, right? A great run and then a bit of a stall. Obviously, the (laughs) Delta variants on a lot of people's minds. But Dan Loeb, Daniel Loeb. Hang on. Hang on. Coming to you just a sec. Just want to finish. Daniel Loeb of Third Point in his most recent investor letter, okay, and he has made the argument from the get go of their investment that Disney needed to go all in. Those are my words, not his, uh, on Disney Plus and streaming. And he takes it a step further in his most recent letter, and I want your reaction to it. 
He says we can, the basic gist is they need to do even more than what they've done if they want to continue to see the share price escalate and the company really reach the potential that it can. He says we continue to believe that the best way to capitalize on this strength to maximize future earnings potential globally is by providing an all-you-can-eat direct-to-consumer offering on a single platform under the Disney Plus brand, where all theatrical content is available day-to-date with no additional fee to subscribers. He's talking about things like sports and general entertainment and blockbuster feature movies, all under one all-you-can-eat thing. Is that strategy the right way for Disney to go? I don't know. I'm not the CEO of Disney. Dan Loeb's a really smart guy. He's also an activist, and he takes a very different approach to investing and working with management than I do. So he's telling them, here's what I think. I'm going to tell you, Dan's smart. He may very well be right. From my perspective as an investor, here's what I think. Management probably knows what's best. Bob Chapek is really smart. I'm going to trust him to do what's right. And so what I'm looking at is... Come on now. Come on. Is he doing enough? Are you satisfied as an investor? Yes. Are you satisfied as an investor? Because you... 100%. 100%. I bought it one year ago, stock's up 50%, and we're continuing to hold it because we think that there's significant upside to come. But I don't know what's going to happen on this earnings call. I think the Delta variant is throwing a, a wrench into things. I'm not quite as positive as John. Hopefully he's right. If he's not, that doesn't affect my opinion. Because when we bought it last summer, our thesis was, and this remains intact, they will probably easily be able to get to $10 of earnings. If that's pushed back a little bit, because of the Delta variant spiking up more, and that happens in 2023 instead of 2022 like we originally expected, fine. Then I still have tremendous upside. This is a terrific company, and I trust the management to do it right. I suspect that, you know, and all credit to Dan, but I suspect that the management knows more about how to well run Disney well than Dan Loeb does. But he's smart. He might be giving them good advice. I'm not sure. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Comfortable with my holding. Up next, John Najarian has his latest trades and unusual activity. We're back in just two minutes. I want to remind you once more, Bob Chapek, Disney CEO, Mad Money, Jim Cramer tonight, 6 p.m. It's an exclusive. Don't miss it on the back of earnings. Unusual activity. Doc, what do you got for us? Uh, Scott, I'm going to start with IAA. This is basically scrap automobiles and so forth. Uh, They're buying the November double nickel, 55 calls. They bought 15,000. That's 1.5 million share equivalent with the stock under 53. I like it. Probably be in that trade two months. Second one, ASHR. This one's a January trade, Scott. They're buying the 36 puts with the stock at about 38 and a half. I like this one as well. Probably be in it about two months. A lot of these Chinese stocks have been under pressure. This Chinese ETF, I figure, is the same. Appreciate it, Doc. Thanks. Final trades are next. All right, let's do it. Final trades. Jenny Harrington, you are up first. Great. Fiserv. Quality, quality, quality. 18 times multiple double-digit earnings growth ahead. Okay. Josh Brown? Uh, Google, still the best-looking large-cap tech name. The Dr. J. Scott, I really like Groupon. A lot of call activity today, and I bought it. And my new nickname for Weiss, the Friendly Foil. Do you like that better? (laughs) The Friendly Foil. I I like them all. Bring it on. Hey, look, Porsche usually trades at a, at a one-to-one correlation with Volkswagen. It's been lagging for the last months. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. will catch up, and Volkswagen is going higher. All right, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. The exchange starts now.
You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.